What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of I Could Never Be here on the Popcorn Talk Network. I don't know about you, but I am definitely feeling inspired today because of the work that I see just happening around the world. And that is today's message is that if you have the ability to help someone, you have the responsibility to help someone. And I don't know if you guys are following the situation going on in Thailand. So several young boys from a soccer team and their coach were trapped in these caves after unexpected flooding. Now, crews have been working nonstop, round the clock to try to get them out, try to provide them enough food and oxygen to stay alive, but obviously to be able to get them out of these flooded caves. And it would be easy for people to sit back and just say, oh, you know what? I'm going to let the professionals take care of this. I'm going to let the government take care of this. But no, Elon Musk, who world-renowned scientist, well-known for founding Tesla and SpaceX, said, I'm not just going to sit back. He has actually been working and designing a transportation hub and module that will actually transport these kids and he spent his own time he spent the money and resources of his company to be able to design this knowing that he has the ability and he has the responsibility to do this he flew over to thailand he transported this thing there they're working to get the rest of these kids out so well done mr musk almost uh seemed like you know you're one of the avengers tony stark scientists so congratulations to him thank you very much and again that's an inspiration for you guys if you have the ability to do something you have the responsibility i am so excited for today's show because i love talking with olympians and that is exactly who we have on today olympians are the best of the best literally the best of the world tons of people are professional athletes in various sports But to be able to make the Olympics, to qualify for the Olympics, takes timing, takes athleticism, takes so many more things, that you obstacles that you have to overcome, and that's exactly what our guest has overcome today. He is just one of a handful of runners ever to have run a sub-10-second 100-meter run. He qualified for the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. He won a silver medal in Athens in 2004, and he is joining us now live from the track in Atlanta, Georgia. Kobe Miller, thank you. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, you're at the track right now. You can't get away? I can't. I'm, I'm addicted to it. This is my therapy for when I want to get away and get my mind off of stuff of all the stresses throughout the day. So I come out here, I train these kids, and uh, that's what I do in the evenings. So how, uh, how many days are you at the track? How many days are you still personally training? I know you don't compete anymore, but how often are you still working out and training? Uh, I'm actually uh, – business is starting to pick up now. Uh, I got a lot of uh, – Athletes that I'm working with now, mostly the young people who are trying to have the Olympic dream come to life. So uh, I'm here uh, probably at least five days a week and then sometimes on the weekends. I know you. your fastest race ever was a 9.98 uh, in 2000. What can you run right now? If someone puts you to the test, <laughs> what can you run at 100 meter right now? Uh, you know what? I haven't trained in so long, but I probably can still run a, a 10.8 10, 10, right in there somewhere. Wow. But I even training, so that's pretty good to be at 41. <laughs> that that's incredible if you guys want to follow kobe after the show you can follow him on instagram and on twitter at kobe usa olympian you can follow me at the only mc on instagram and on twitter and of course we're so thankful to be here on popcorn talk network at the popcorn talk on instagram and on twitter does the feeling of being an olympian ever go away or is that something that you always hold dear of like i did this i'm an olympian i want a medal yeah you, you know um uh, seeing all these comp- these younger kids competing now uh it definitely makes you well like man you know i wish i could get back to get back out there and compete but you know as you get older your body gets older you're not able to compete at that level anymore but i i once you're an olympian you're always an olympian and that's something no one can ever take away from you so once you reach that level you're always an olympian so i'm super super excited to have that title under my name and knowing that was something that will be with me forever so 
uh, it's, it's a great feeling to, to just reminisce on how far I've come to reach that level. But uh, I'm super excited when, you know, I'm able to give back and help people. And where do you keep your medal in your house? You got it framed on the wall or in a trophy case? I actually have it in a little safe deposit uh, box, <laughs> kind of like fireproof. It's locked up really well. I, every now and then when I have to do speaking engagement at different schools and stuff, mm-hmm. I'll bring it out because I want the kids to see that, you know, you can have a dream even when, you, when you're a young kid and then kind of see it come to reality when you work hard. So I don't mind people touching the metal. You know, I, I, I clean it up pretty nice. Uh, but when I'm doing speaking engagements, engagements at schools and everything, I like to let the kid actually feel what that dream is like. So I don't mind them touching it. Now, was that your dream as a kid Olympian? I know you grew up uh, in, I think, a relatively small town. In, you were born in Mississippi. How small was the town you grew up in? Was Olympic you know, dreams from the get-go? You know, like, uh, it, it, Louisville is a definitely, definitely small town. I am the first Olympian to actually put my little city on a map, so I'm super excited about that. So when I go back there, uh, everyone knows me there, uh, a lot of respect there. So I am super, super excited to be able to say that I'm the first Olympian back in my hometown of Louisville to actually compete in two Olympics and actually win a medal. So uh, I'm super excited about that. Now you got the sprinter, Tori Bowie. She's from Mississippi as well, so... She's definitely running great, and so I look forward to seeing all what she's going to do as well. How small of a town is that? I mean, population-wise, it's about ten thousand. Ten thousand is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, growing up, I, I you know I grew up in a town of twelve hundred people, and I know it, when someone does something, you know, it, it gives other people hope. Had anyone, you know, ever done anything major in sports before you, you know, qualified for the Olympics and won that Olympic medal to give you hope? I I think I was one of the first to put our city on the map. And then there's a good friend of mine named uh, Marcus Timms, who uh, is actually now the coach for the Yankees. He actually was an amazing baseball player. We both graduated from the same high school. We both played on two state championship football teams. Wow. And, uh, he's like one of the, uh, the the major coaches for the Yankees right now. So I was the first to get us on the map, and now he's carried it on because he's still a coach there, and I'm just coaching now. So uh, he's a great friend of mine, amazing athlete as well, one of the, one of the, one of the most best baseball players that I had the privilege of, of growing up with. So. Uh, he's carrying that torch now, but I was the first to actually be an Olympian in my city to put us on the map. Well, I know, especially at the kids nowadays, they can always point to your picture on the wall in the high school, I'm sure, and be able to read about you and realize that just because you come from a small town, a small place, a small high school, that doesn't mean that your dreams have to be small. That doesn't mean that you can't accomplish something big. And so I, I know you're an inspiration there, and I appreciate you there. Growing up, when did you start running when was that you know the the passion when did it kick in um i was i say you know growing up i was always competitive in sports in the neighborhood and everything i would run with different kids in the neighborhood uh if there's any sport going on i pretty much had my hands in it so i was pretty much good about everything i i I played as a sport so as i got a little bit older and got in uh, school and everything there was a coach who's uh by the name of mc miller who discovered me and, and told me that, you know what, you can run fast, you, you should be great. So as a junior in, um, in, in, in high school, I got moved up to the high school, high school track team. So when I did that, I was able to go on and win medals. And so from that point, uh, after winning even a state championship football uh, ring, from that wow. point I got you know, letters to go to any school I wanted to go to. And uh, so I took all five of my visits to every school that offered me to come <laughs> to that school with a free education and being from where, where I came from, education is so important and so uh, inspired me to just go be great. So my parents didn't have to, you know, 
break their savings to give me an education. So I took advantage of that opportunity. I made good grades in school and I went to a great school considering Auburn and got my education there. And then from there, things took off. Now, am I reading this right? It says as an eighth grader, you were moved up to the high school track team and won a state, one state as an eighth grader? As an eighth grader, yes. It's Coach MC Miller. <laughs> uh, he said, hey, you're fast. He put me on the high school team and uh, actually went right in there and won state state medal there. So from that point, it just kind of kept going and going and going. And then by the time I reached the senior, I had everybody wanted me to come to the school. So how did other kids, how did other kids on your team feel? And how did the other competitors you were beating at state as an eighth grader feel knowing that they were going up against you, a young kid and losing? Well, you know, it's kind of like, it seems so so real to some people that actually I was that young as an eighth grader being on a high school team and actually coming in and with no form of training, just running off of my God given talent and be able to go in there and, and just get a medal right away, uh, that was pretty special. So from that point on, you know, I, I gained a lot of respect, even from the older guys uh, that were way, way older and, you know, competing in college. Uh, some of their first races, uh, I was running 21 threes, 21 fours, and, wow. you know, right right when I got in high school. So uh, I went to all the district champs and, and uh, won medals there. And so from that point on, uh, my mentor, Coach MC Miller, he instilled in me that I can be great, and I believe that. And uh, I just went out and made it happen. Do you credit him for keeping you focused? I mean, I played high school athletics. I know a lot of people, and, and there's so many distractions in high school. And at that point, you're, how do you stay focused on the future and, and realize what could be if you actually maintain you know, the path that you're on? It, did he keep you driven? Did your parents? What kept you driven as a high schooler to stay on track and to keep pushing? Uh, I definitely think Coach Miller had a, a big part of that, keeping me grounded. For once, he didn't take you not – you know, half doing something. So if you, he told you to go out and run 200 meters and you didn't run it in the time he wanted you to run it in, guess what? You're going to run it over and over and over again till you get the time that he wants you to run it in. So he definitely instilled in me that, you know what, if you want something, you got to work hard for it. You got to put in the work. You got to, when everybody else is sleeping, you got to be up putting the work. So that's something that I carried me, carried with me for a long time. So he definitely was one of those coaches that was on top of you about grades. He's on top of you about like putting in hard work and just getting out there and making it happen and knowing that you can be the best. So he's definitely one of my biggest mentors. And still, uh, to this day, he's one of my biggest mentors. He was at my – actually, I got inducted into the Hall of Fame back in uh, – last year, actually. And he came there, meant a lot to me. So we're still in contact. And uh, to this day, when I go home, I got to go by and see him because he instilled some very, very valuable lessons in my career. Well, it's awesome that you're uh, continuing his legacy by you know, mentoring kids of your own and being able to train kids of your own and push them. And I know we were talking before the show, you got a couple NFL players and inspiring kids and, and helping them reach that next level of success. Speaking of NFL and, and football versus track, you said you had multiple scholarships. How did you choose to do track versus the pigskin? Well, uh I, I think I had the opportunity to go play football or track. And I think since I did so well uh, at this junior college before I went to Auburn that I was a state championship there um, in the 60 meters under a coach named Joe Walker, which his dad was a head coach at Ole Miss at the time. So there was this coach by the name of Ralph Spry that came pretty much to every one of my practices at while I was at Meridian because I was doing so well. He would drive all the way from Alabama because he's going to be taking over Harvey Glance's job because Harvey Glance left and went to Alabama to, to run track, which I was going to be coached on the Harvey Glance. So at the time, Coach Fry uh, took over that job. He would drive to Meridian probably two or three times a week. 
and just watched me train and just motivated me. He was standing in the stadium and just watched me train. And I was like, you know what? This guy really motivates me, and I don't even know him. So that made my, my decision very, very clear that I was going to train under Coach, Coach Rap Spry at Auburn. And when I did that, that man took my career to uh, a level that I could never dreamed of. And to this day, uh, I, I'm, I'm, in, I, I'm truly, truly grateful that I made the decision to go to Auburn and train under him because he's one of the greatest coaches out here in, 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 in the world, in my opinion. How did he uh, do? How did he do that? I mean, was there certain techniques that he was teaching you, or wh- why do you say? I mean, he took it to that next level. Um, I think I was naturally talented because even before going for him, going to him. I was still running 1019s, 10 10-0 something on a good day. Mm-hmm. When I was at Meridian on the Joe Walker, I, I, I was national champion there as well. And uh, so I think as far as like not having the experience of actually learning technique on how to run, even though my form was probably one of the craziest on the track, if you go back and watch some of my videos, I didn't have the best form, but I can run a 9, I can run a 19 on, on any given day. So mm-hmm. Coach Fry just took that, that whole motivation thing to another level. And uh, gave me good training, uh, taught me technique, taught me about discipline, and uh, kind of put that on top of talented. And then you only have success. <laughs> Did you were your sights at that time the 2000 Olympics in Sydney? Yeah, you know I, I was one of the younger guys on the team, so I I, I knew because Coach Spry had already uh, put it in me that I could make this team. Um, I think with prayer, with faith, and I remember going into that race telling myself that you know I was always out on lane nine going into this race, but you're competing against Michael Johnson, Maurice Greens at the time. Those were mm. the big names in track and field. Yeah. So I was always out in lane nine. So I had to run blind, everybody else behind me. So I told myself, I said, you know what? If they're going to catch me today, they got to catch me off this turn. So when I came off the turn, I look up at the screen, I could see myself that I was in position to medal. And I just kept going for the line and I ended up being third. So uh, it was an amazing feeling. And from that point, uh, you know, got endorsements with Nike and everything, and the uh, career was was really great. Wow! I mean, you, you know, this is what I want to talk about for with you of you know the competitions that you've been in. You know, the multiple Olympics, the strategy of running. And I know I, I grew up running cross country. Far cry! Mm-hmm. I am not fast at all. Far cry from the times that you did and the athletic ability that you have. But the strategy of running, and like you're saying, that mental prep of you're in nine and you know that you can't see anyone else. You don't have those people pushing you. You're not trying to catch up to anyone. What is your mental strategy going into a race, both in terms of does it change on, on the day, then like an hour before your, mental, your mentality changes, and like 10 seconds before, what are you thinking? Talk about your, your mental prep for a race. Yeah, you have to go into a race, I say, believing that you're one of the best people out there because you know the competition is going to be strong. You know people who are at the top uh, of that game is going to be gunning for you. The hardest thing, like, when you get to number one, is great, but staying there is hard. So I always tell people that. So mental preparation, you have to believe and know that you are number one, that all the hard work that you put in on the track, is you're there for it to pay off. So practice make preparation for the race. So um, I always believe in staying in my own lane. I focus on what I had to do, focus on what I was taught, uh, in the beginning, middle of the race. So you kind of have to strategize your race when you're actually racing. You have to know, like, how fast you're going to run the first one, 15 to 200. You have to know, like, in 100 meters, you got to get out the blocks. you got to run your first 30, 40 meters, you know, using the power and stuff that you've learned. And uh, just run relax and just have fun with it. I mean, of course, being on Olympic stage, you're going to be nervous. Um, but you got to have fun. you got to relax. And you got to know that you, you're, when you make it to that level, 
you're among the best in the world and on the best in the world, make it to the top. So just the whole like staying focused, eating healthy, being disciplined, get enough sleep, you know, making good grades. Those all things help play a role in, in my mental preparation for a race. What was your daily regimen for a race? Was there always like I had this for breakfast and then I did this and then I made sure that I did this? Yeah, I, I'd wake up, uh, make sure I got a good breakfast. Um, Coach Fry always used to make me, you know, get a little light shake out, do some light stretching. I always kind of ate the same thing because I believe, you know, you have to put what put in your body what you feel is best for you. So I always woke up, had breakfast, did my uh, – I was a part of this group called um, – um, it was uh, it was a Christian group, Christian Fellowship Athletes. I would do mm-hmm. that do that in the morning, uh, you know, just to get your little mental preparation together, say a little prayers, be grateful for the opportunity that you're in. So I did that in the mornings, and then from that point on, you just drink. I drink lots of water, make sure I'm hydrated, and I just visualize. I go in my room and I visualize myself of how I want to run my race, of how I want to see myself first run across that finish line. I did that before every race. Visualization. Uh, of how you're going to get to point, from point A to point B. So I would visualize myself coming across that line first. I would visualize myself getting out of the blocks of, before everybody else and uh, visualize myself just coming across the line first. And so that think, was my whole preparation up into come, going into a race. Do you think all athlete, athletes do that visualization? I think the smart ones do now. Uh, a lot of people, uh, because you just can't, you know, just go out on the track and just think it's going to happen. You have to visualize yourself doing it. So I think like a lot of the people now are definitely using that tool of visualization of, of, of before you run your race. Because I think when you visualize uh, what you're going to do in your race, then the mind picks that up and then you're able to perfect it on the track. So I think a lot of the ones now are definitely I see a lot of more focus now in athletes than I did when I was competing. A lot of people are more focused on what you have to do. And if you want to be at the top, you have to be focused on what you want to do and what you want to accomplish to get to that level. You know, putting, uh, you know, good thoughts and that getting that mentality into your head is important. Also clearing away everything that's a distraction is also an important uh, thing when you're going for a run and competing in anything. You get on the block, you know, 30 seconds, 20 seconds, 10 seconds before they're going to shoot the gun and start the race. What's going through your mind and how do you clear out the distractions? You know what? That's a very good question. When you get on the when you get in the blocks before that gun goes off, your mind should be thinking about anything. You should just be thinking about reacting to the gun, and 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 making what you visualize come to pass. So when I'm in the blocks, my mind goes blank. All I think about is just reacting to the gun, and and, and execute my first 30, 40 meters of the race. And then from that point on, it's almost like you know what happens. You just gotta hold form, relax, and run, and let your body do what it do. So um, that's the biggest thing. It's like because I always tell people. If you're in the blocks, if you're thinking, you're sleeping. So guess what? When you're thinking in the blocks, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that. And that was a big thing I had to change because uh, if you get in the blocks and you're thinking about what you have to do, uh, then guess what? When the gun goes off, you're going to be sitting in those blocks. So I think your man, I always tell my athletes now, I think your man is a sleeping man when you get on the track. So if you're thinking about all this stuff you got to do, because that's what you practice for. You practice to to get in the blocks and just execute the race. So if you're thinking about what you got to do, guess what? When that gun goes off, you're going to be still sitting there thinking. And you can't do that with elite athletes. You have to get out. You have to compete. Yeah, especially when, you know, there's a tenth of a second, a hundredth of a second difference between, you know, first, second, and third place. And literally, especially when you're running a hundred meter, I mean, the the record has changed in the past, you know, 15, 20 years, a matter <laughs> of three tenths of a second. 
And mm-hmm. it's been it's been incredible. And that little difference that that little difference matters so much. Going into Sydney, 2000, mm-hmm. first Olympics. How did you prepare for that? Uh, just the experience of being on that stage, a stage that you had never been on before. Well, you know, it's something you really can't can't say that you really prepare for because I, like I said, I was like in a position to knowing that I was only a junior in college. It was my first Olympics. I'd never been on that stage. But I knew that I had just came off NCAAs and I was competitive and I, you know, I ran great 200s and I knew if I ran what I did in NCAA times, I can have a chance of making it to the finals. So my main thing, being so young, one of the younger people on the team was to just make it to the finals. And uh, I, I will say, you know, my first Olympics, uh, I think I let nerves uh, get a part of my mental preparation because um, I actually think I could have did a lot better than what I did. Uh, I just think I just let the nerves get the best of me. But I still end up, you know, placing in the finals and everything, which mm-hmm. was a huge accomplishment because nobody had never done that. Yeah. Um, and then just to learn from the experience and grow from the experience. And, um, you know, and I told myself that, you know, I wanted to come back at the next Olympics and, and get a medal. However I got, I wanted to get one. And uh, unfortunately, you know, they, like you said, uh, hundreds of a second that separated us at the time trial and 100 meters, I was fourth and they separated us by hundreds of a second. So, I had to go on the relay, even though people that finished before me, you know, they all we all had to separate about like a hundred mm-hmm. of a second. So I just knew that I wanted to be a medal. So I was grateful that I was able to go on and compete, you know, on the four by one meter relay and actually walk away with the medal. But I actually wish I would have had the chance to actually compete individually uh, in the hundred meters. But I know sometimes, you know, our plans may not be his plans, but yeah. Uh, I'm truly grateful that I did walk away with the medal. I said I wanted to, to get a medal, so and you're I the only medal, so. and you're the only runner ever to run a sub 10 second qualifying race and not qualify and not make a final. Yeah, exactly, like, which is truly incredible, final, unbelievable. Yeah, so I mean, my hats was off to those guys that actually pulled it off. I mean, because like I said, it was a close race, and that was the first race that we all went on the 10 seconds, and, and then you know, four people on the 10 seconds, and then we have to go on a relay. So unfortunately that's, that's the way it happened. But I, I, I know that, you know, that being able to walk away with the medal, um, I walk away feeling like a champion. Yeah. And that, you know, hats off to you guys and the other members of that four by 100 team in Athens that won. I want to talk about that race. You know, it's a incredible accomplishment. And I know you guys highly ranked going into that race, you finished that race, and obviously we have a picture of how close it was. Talking about a hundredth of a second. I mean, it's incredible. The team from Great Britain and you guys. The the feeling after you finished that race, and I know there was a little bobble with the baton. How, you know, I think a lot of people, they go through something, and they don't get the exact result that they want. They, they get close. They get second, and they maybe don't appreciate it. How, when you finish that race, do you feel accomplished you know and people say i'd rather not get a silver medal i'd rather have bronze or gold how do you feel about that in getting that silver medal and losing just slightly but still consider you still being a winner well i i i have to be honest you know I, I was a little bit disappointed because um i i, I knew we should have walked away with the gold but like i said it didn't happen like that justin and i had a little bit of a um uh, hang out with the baton exchange um uh, can hear very well and i kind of like in the beginning kind of blame myself for that um so i had to make up a lot of ground to actually get us back into the race after that little mishap uh justin sean those guys ran great legs and i kind of like blame myself for that the reason why we didn't 
get that uh, gold medal um, because I, I, I didn't hear him say uh, stick or whatever. So I kind of like panic a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you know, they were very supportive. We ended up walking away with the silver. Maurice did a great job of actually keeping us in the race. And uh, actually, you know, he made a lot of ground up with those uh, with the Great Britain guy. We almost got them, but unfortunately it didn't happen. But, um, you know, I was very, very blessed to be able to those guys supported. We all supported each other. We were family. You know, no matter what, we, we got a medal. And, uh, you know, Justin's gone on to do great things. And uh, yeah, he's a great person. And uh, so I'm just happy and thankful that I did accomplish one of those goals. And, uh, but yeah, that was that was really, really tough um for a minute there because i really really wanted to get gold and i did blame myself a lot for that uh because of that um but you know you live and you learn and you grow and uh you live to see another day do you think that's a lesson for people though to be able to appreciate the situation that they're in and the accomplishment and to be able to look at that and, and not say oh i got second but to say i got silver i got silver out of everyone competing in the olympics out of everyone who didn't even qualify i got second we won a silver medal yeah, I think that's a huge accomplishment because you're competing with the best in the world. And uh, like I said, when you make it to that stage, you have done everything you need to do to be the best in the world. And, and everybody, when you're at that level on the Olympic stage, you, everybody's gunning for you. Everybody wants to be number one. Everybody wants to be the Olympic champion. So you have to go out there and give your best performance no matter what. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, you're, like I said, uh, it may not always work out the way we want it to. But if you can get a medal at Olympic Games, guess what? You're, you're a champion. Because you that's ever, hard work goes into that stuff. Did you ever think that 2004 was in doubt because of the injuries that you experienced in 2001 and in 2002? I know you broke your fibula, had hamstring issues. Was 2004 ever in doubt in your mind of even making it? Uh, no. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to come back. Uh, when that, the, Actually, the time you speak of that, when I broke my fibula, that was, you know, that was the biggest motivation for me because I was in the best shape that I think I've ever been in, in my career. And I thanks to Coach Fry, he did a great job of getting me there. Um, unfortunately, that freak accident happened there at the at the um, finish line, which I was the favorite to win indoor that year. But you know, unfortunately, you know, mm-hmm. when Sean Sean came into the back of me and broke my uh, fibula, I wasn't able to do that. But I used that as motivation to come out and uh, said I wanted to make this team somehow, some way. I was going to do it. So, in preparation of coming back for the 2004 games. Um, I had a different mentality now. I wasn't so focused on the nerves or all that stuff. I had a different focus. I was there for one purpose, and that was to walk away with the medal, and I was able to do that. How did you push yourself mentally and physically to get back to that level and overcoming the obstacle of a, a broken leg, which is incredibly important to a sprinter? Well, I mean, when, when you get an endorsement from these companies, you know, you got to, it's your job. You got to get out there and compete. So that, that mainly was my motivation that, you know what, I, I had a lot of people that believed in me, a lot of people that had, you know, soared into my career and everything. So I wanted to make sure that I upheld my end of the bargain because I am a man of integrity. And so I want to be able to do what I said I'm going to commit to. And so uh, that was my biggest motivation to know that I committed to, to give my best. And then unfortunately, you know, injuries, Got, played a big part in that but you know i still that was my motivation to i gotta train when everybody else is sleeping i gotta eat right i gotta sleep i gotta do everything that i need to do to make sure that kobe is fulfilling his duty as a professional athlete so that was my biggest motivation and plus i wanted to take care of my mom i wanted to be able to give her things that she never really had and so that was my biggest motivation because she gave me what i didn't have so i wanted to make sure that i was in a position to give her things she never had you know, what was your training like 
on those days and in, in your training for both the 2000 Olympics and the 2004 Olympics, what is your training for a week? Are you training seven days a week at multiple hours a day, beginning uh, of the day, much, end yeah. of the day? Because Fry, uh, you know, he ha- he have us training. Uh, we train Monday through Friday. Uh, you get weekends off when you're not traveling. But a lot of times when, um, even though it's Olympic season, we would go over in Europe and just to stay sharp and stay fresh for a few races just to make sure we were sharp. Actually, my first Olympic team, I was already in Europe because I was competing in the summer. Some of those races just kind of what athletes do before you pre- prepare for a big race. You go to Europe and uh, you run some of those nice races. So when you get to the Olympics, you're ready. So a lot of athletes go over there. So that's what I did in the summer. So actually, when Sydney Olympics came around, I was already in Europe. So my coaches had to come over. I was already there. So he would send me workouts via like, like we do on Skype or he emailed them to me. And then my agent at the time. We would go to the track and we would train. So that's how I kept my fitness up. Like, I would just go and just, like, rent out a hotel in Greece and stay there for the whole so two or three months and just train there. So that's what I did. I love asking athletes uh, this question of what do you remember uh, being our particular hard workout? Is there one that stands out to you that was just incredibly grueling and you're like, man, that day. Do you remember that day? Whoo! Oh, my God. Uh, Coach Fry used to make us do this workout. Um it was called a three, two, one up the ladder, and then you got to go back down. One, oh, we got to go back up three. You got to run a three hundred, two hundred, and one hundred. Then you got to come back and run a one hundred, a two hundred, and three hundred. And then sometimes make you top it off with the four hundred. Oh, those days I, I dreaded being on the track. <laughs> <laughs> what is? So I did, sorry, keep going. I, I did not like that workout because I knew that I'd be laid out on the track after it was over. <laughs> <laughs> And on workouts like those, I know you, you get sometimes 80 or 90% of the way done. And it can be easy some days, especially if you don't have someone there pushing you to say, man, I already did a lot. I already accomplished a lot. I don't need to run this last leg. I don't need to run that last 300 or 100. Those thoughts ever creep into your mind? You ever think about taking you know, the last 20%, the last 10% of a workout off? And how did you mentally and physically push forward? Um, yeah, of course. Like, those thoughts come to your head because, you know, like Mondays, you know it's going to be a hard day. So a good thing that I always did when those thoughts comes into my mind of saying, oh, my gosh, should I do this? Well, I think about, okay, the person I got to compete with next week in this big race, are they taking days off? So I always that would be my motivation that I have to do what, you know, like I said, if you want to be number one, you got to do what others are not doing. So I, that was my biggest motivation is, is being able to just say, you know what, um, if I take, if I run this last 300 half, half, half in it, then my, my competitors is probably not doing that. So I'm cheating myself out of, uh, of, of being successful. So that was my biggest motivation. I always kept it in the back of my mind that you got to, tra- in order to be number one, you got to train like you're number two. And I know you did a lot of training in between 2004 and 2008. Qual- didn't qualify in 2008 Olympics. People sometimes put a lot of work into something. They don't get it. They view it as a waste. Did you view that training as a waste to be able to get to 2008? And I know that the answer is definitely going to be no. But how do you not get something and still view the work put in as an accomplishment? Um. You know, like I said, like with these endorsements that you get, uh, if you're not performing at a certain level, then oftentimes they take that away from you. And then back then, you know, if you're um, an athlete competing at this level, you kind of need sponsors to kind of, you know, make a living because mm-hmm. you, at the end of the day, you got to pay bills and you got to do what you got to do. Um, so a lot of times if you're not performing at a level 
what they think you should be performing at. And then a lot of time your contract is taken away for you. So uh, unfortunately, you know, 2008, um, I, well, my last Olympics I was going to try for, I got injured. Uh, wasn't able to bounce back as quickly. So I lost uh, my, my, my biggest contract, which was with Nike, mm-hmm. uh, which I totally understand because they, they supported me for, for almost eight years. And I'm truly, truly grateful for them. They're a great company, great people. But I do understand, you know, you got to compete at a certain level. And if you're not, you know, the unfortunate things doesn't work out like that. So uh, I think Nike is a great company um, and they've done they've blessed me, you know, to get ahead in life when I was you know younger. Um, so I'm truly grateful for them. But like I said, uh, nowadays, I think contracts are a lot bigger. People are making a lot more money and people are able to actually, you know, if you are injured, you can take a few months off and bounce back. But back when we was coming up, you know, you got to fulfill the duties of the contract. And if you ain't competing at that level and then sometimes they take it away. Yeah, I know, especially, you know, TV deals right now are incredible with what sports are getting, with what athletes oh, are getting. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, you're especially NBA free agency right now, and you're seeing these players sign $40 million a year deals. It's incredible. Was money ever, you know, you say you have to get sponsorships. Uh, was that ever tight of even like, wow, that's only covering so much and having to work another job or a side job? or I, I would say for, for me coming out um... – I didn't have to worry about stuff like that. I actually had a pretty decent contract with Nike. Um, so I was taken care of uh, all the way around. Um, like I said, I have nothing but good blessings for them because they blessed my life, blessed my career. So um, so I didn't have to worry about that. But I know some other athletes who did not have that, who do not have that coming out. They struggled. Um, but now, like you said, now contracts are a lot bigger. They're giving away a lot more, not to say giving away a lot more money, but uh, contracts are a lot bigger now. So people are able to actually, if you are injured or something, you are able to take a few months off, and maybe even a year uh, with the contracts they get now. Because, I mean, uh, when, when, I, when I was coming through, like I said, you, you, I, I was blessed enough to not have to worry about that. But, like, at the end of the day, if I wasn't fulfilling the duties, then, you know, contracts get reduced yeah. to a certain amount. No, absolutely. So that was the biggest thing. <laughs> well, you talked earlier about, you know, the God-given talent that you – felt that you had growing up and in high school you were able to realize that but you still need to put in the training do you see that a lot with people of you know a lot of people have god-given talents but there's a difference between having those and relying on those versus pushing those and training to enhance those do you see a lot of that and how do you encourage the people that you do see to train well I think once you, I believe we all have a purpose here, and not just in athletics, but just like whatever you're blessed and whatever you're good at doing, then I think that's part of your God-given talent. Fortunately, I'm good at running. I'm good at training. I'm good at what, that's what I'm good at. So, But if I have to put in the work to make sure that I can take that to the next level. It's almost like if you make one step, then the universe makes the next step. But if you never give the universe something to work with, and then how are you going to take your talents to the next level? So. I think we've all been blessed with some type of gift. And, like, these athletes I see now, um, you know, are so blessed, so much talent I see around here. Now, even some of the athletes I train now, they're really, really, really awesome athletes. But, like I said, you got to put in the work. You got to want it. You got to come out here. You got to wake, eat, sleep, wake up, and do this if you want to make it to that level. So, um, like I said, you got to put in the work in order to be able to take your talent to the next level. So, it's almost like when you say, yes, I'm going to put in the work, and then the universe grants you your wish. Yeah, and it's the it's sad stories that we hear all the time of players in various sports of being really talented and really successful. I mean, I think of Johnny Manziel 
And it's mm-hmm. someone who had incredible talent. I mean, the things that he was able to do on the football field, but he didn't, he didn't commit. He didn't have that commitment off the field of not having the party lifestyle, not you know, doing the things that he shouldn't have did that were distractions. And, and it, it cost him. It cost, and it can cost several different athletes from, again, varying sports. Yeah, I, one of the biggest things I, I tell my athletes now, you have to stay focused. Like distractions, like what is this partying, drinking, everything. When you're trying to, when you have a vision and you're trying to perfect that vision, you're trying to make it to the next level, then you can't have any of those outside distractions. Um, you got to stay focused because the moment you get off course, then the moment your career is going to take, take, take a downfall. So you have to stay focused on your vision. You have to wake up with the purpose and knowing that, you know, this is what I said that I want. So what am I doing today to make myself feel proud and hanging out at bars or going out and partying all the time? That's not getting me to my goal. So you got to focus on the things that are going to get you close to your goal. And of course, we, you realize that your competition and athletic window is only so many years. It's 10, 15 years. And mm-hmm. after that, you can do what you want. I know that's a big thing that like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers talk about is. I'm, I'm playing until I'm 42 or 43 years old. When that time is over, then I can do all these other things. But I realize, that, I realize that my competitive window is only so long. Absolutely. So that's why you got to make the best of that talent when, while you have it, while you're, while you're on it, because you have the rest of your life to do all this other stuff. I mean, what's, what's a few years of not wanting to do all the crazy partying, all the drinking and stuff, just to focus on your career? Because you're going to have the rest of your life to do that. So you build the foundation now where you're able to give back and help others, and then the rest of the stuff you can focus on later. <laughs> what drives you now? Uh, my passion just to help these kids, uh, help other athletes get to where I- I've gone and where I've been. Um, my passion now is to, you know, just to, if I can help one person in this world by helping them make better decisions and better choices, then I feel like my mission is done. So that's my motivation. That's my uh, passion now is just to seeing some of these younger kids who don't have, you know, role models in their life to uh, take it to the next level and know that they can be something and that they all are born with the purpose. And uh, when you perfect that purpose in your life, uh, and you do the right things and you put good things into the universe. And then guess what? The universe serves you greatness. What advice do you have for the, you know, the kids who are out there running and they're maybe the seventh and eighth grader, the ninth grader, the 10th grader in high school, and they see that they have the talent, but they're questioning whether to put the work in. What advice do you have for them? Uh, my advice would be to just keep working at it. Uh, surround yourself with people who believe in you. Surround yourself with people who believe in your dream, believe in your vision. Uh, find you a mentor in your area that's going to uh, support you, that's going to believe in you, that's going to push you. Even if you don't want to feel like doing anything, they push you to the next level. So, Find someone in your area that that's so so sees a positive in your life, and uh, I think if you do that, keep a good head on your shoulders, stay focused. I think you will go very far in life, and always be smart. Uh, when you make it big to the next level of being a, a professional athlete, always always respect money because it's easy to go through money when you have it when you're not used to it. So if you respect money, you will make more of it. But when you disrespect money. It leaves your life so fast. I think I like that, the way you put that, of respect money. You know, yes. There's a thing of like loving money. There's a thing of appreciating money. But respecting money, if you give money that respect Absolutely. and you value if you it. Money, if you give money that respect and not just waste it on foolishness or materialistic things, then guess what? The universe will serve you with more money. But when you, dis- when you start disrespecting 
money and, 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 and spending on foolish stuff and doing all this craziness and stuff, then guess what? You look around and there's nothing left. That's it. Well, Kobe, I I've appreciate it. I, I feel you. I feel you. Well, Kobe, I appreciate you joining us. I can't have you in. You know, you, you're saying you haven't trained in a few years. You got 10 years before the Olympics is back here in the U.S. and L.A. I mean, do you think 10 years of training you can get back sub 10? Or what are your thoughts on the Olympics in L.A. in 10 years? I think it's going to be great. And I'm, I'm happy to see uh, L.A. be hosting the city. I'm hoping that I can be in the stadium watching some of my athletes cross the finish line and get the medal. That, that's, my, that's my goal right now. Yeah, it's, you know, and that's a, a lesson in itself for kids who are, you know, 10, 11 years old, even younger of you got 10 years. You got 10 years. Who knows what can happen in the next 10 years? And that can be a site that, uh, that they can set. <laughs> right. I, I will say this. I, I don't know if I'll compete again, but I, you best believe that I'll be in great shape in 10 years if, if I'm still on this earth to see it. Because that's one thing I do. You got to take care of your body. So uh, I'm not going to be one of those people that. 10 years when I'm 40, 50, just walking around here like my health doesn't mean anything, but um, I'm definitely going to be in good shape. I plan to be if I live to see it. Um, I'll be still working out for sure. No, for sure. I'll probably be on a track like I'm at now. (laughs) And I can see you're still in good shape. Give give us a flex. Give us a flex. Show it. Show how good the shape is. Still in good shape. There we go. See? Muscle man. <laughs> Not you're always dedicated, always dedicated. Yeah. I appreciate Kobe. Thank you so much for joining us, for taking the time, and for certainly sharing some of your inspiration. I really do appreciate it. All right, thank you guys for having me, and uh, take care, and uh, see you guys soon. Peace. Absolutely, thank you, and thank you guys for joining us for another episode of I Could Never Be Here on the Popcorn Talk Network. I hope you guys felt inspired. I mean, to go through the, the obstacles that he went through, growing up in a small town. The injuries, the placing second by literally, if you see the picture, it's like a hundredth of a second. Still be able to battle and battle and battle and want to get better and be able to realize that everyone has these God-given talents, but you have to be able to put in the work. And that's exactly what Kobe did. And certainly he was rewarded with that Olympic medal with certainly several other championships. And I know you guys can accomplish that same thing. If you you know living here in the U.S., again, the Olympics is in 10 years. You never know what accomplishments you can do if you put your mind to that we are live here on the popcorn talk every monday for another episode of i could never be at 4 10 pacific time you can also catch us on apple itunes please comment like subscribe go tell a friend we offer you guys guys content for free you don't even have to pay anything we offer it for free but please just go out and spread the motivation be kind to someone today and let that kindness envelop the world thank you guys for joining us we'll see you next time and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 